are back in our series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're calling it Stay with Jesus because that is the primary message of this book. It's written to people who, Jewish believers, who believe that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, who then began taking the gospel all around the Mediterranean, who found themselves in difficult circumstances. The pressure was on. And uh, there was this uh, pressure of, of persecution that took the form of losing your job for being a Christian, uh, perhaps even losing your property for being a follower of Christ, and in some cases being shunned by family uh, because, uh, because they were followers of Jesus. So there was this pressure to distance yourself uh, from Christ. And so that inspired this, this uh, what most scholars believe is a pastor to write this, this sermon uh, to these people and tell them to stay with Christ, stay with Jesus. And uh, we're going to be picking up that story in Hebrews chapter 5. If you want to make your way there, I'm going to get there in a second. We're going to read verses 11 through 14 there at the end of chapter 5. Uh, some of you may remember the movie that came out many years ago called Big, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, it's a story about a, a young kid named Josh Baskins who is tired of being little, uh, and he wants to grow up. He's meandering down the, the boardwalk in New Jersey and comes up to this arcade uh, that, that, that promises to, to give you a wish, puts his quarter in the slot, and makes the wish that he could be big. Uh, nothing happens at that moment, but when he wakes up the next morning, what, uh, what Josh Baskins uh, discovered is he, in fact, is big. Now he's 30 years old, and that's where Tom Hanks takes over the character. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a bit of a, it, the movie has its comedic moments because uh, as, as uh, uh, Josh is now hanging around 30-year-olds, they, they know that something isn't quite right. Uh, this guy isn't acting like an adult. I mean, he's uh, shooting silly, uh, he's shooting silly string from his nose. Uh, he's uh, he's at a hotel banquet eating this 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 ritzy meal, and he takes a bite of food he doesn't like, and just sort of spits it out right there on the carpet, kind of like what happened there uh, with the child dedication. <laughs> which is totally okay. Uh, and, and then he, he buys a trampoline and puts it in his apartment. He's jumping on it uh, with friends. And you know, his coworkers are, are, are thinking, this, this guy isn't acting like an adult. He's acting like a teenager, which is exactly uh, the, the, the plot in, in the movie. Uh, it's a fictional movie. A uh, fictional story. Uh, but but the, where we're at in, in Hebrews chapter 5 is not some fictional scenario. We have a, a scenario that's, that's non-fiction. What we have here are believers whose who scholars have, have guessed that are somewhere between 20 to 30 years in Christ, yet they're still behaving or they're still at that place in their journey where they're, where they're, they're spiritually immature. You could say they were uh, you know, a 13-year-old trapped in a 30-year-old body. They should have been farther along in their faith, uh, but they're, they're spiritually immature. They should be at a point where they're influencing and teaching others, yet they're, they're stuck in, in their journey. So he's going to say some pretty strong words to them. And uh, he's going to confront them in their spiritual immaturity. And for us today, what this, this text can teach us is, what is, as we ask the question, what does spiritual immaturity look like? What's it look like to be you know, 20 or 30 years in Christ but, but have the maturity of, of, of a 13-year-old? Uh, so to speak, uh, you know, to, to not be moving forward in our faith journey. What does that look like? And perhaps more importantly, why does it even matter? What's the big deal? 
And that's exactly the topic that this author is going to handle here in Hebrews chapter 5 uh, and, and chapter 6. So would you stand? I want to read just the verses there at the end of chapter 5. I'll get into chapter 6 here after a while. But uh, hear the word of the Lord. I'm reading from uh, the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 11. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. This is God's holy word, and you may be seated. So what does spiritual immaturity look like? What's it look like to be 30 years in Christ yet to sort of be, be stuck in, in those early years of, of, of your journey? And what, what the author is going to do, is, as we just read right there, is he's going to give us three pictures Three pictures, two of them are negative, and one of them is sort of a positive picture of spiritual maturity. Two, sort of a negative picture of what it looks like to be a 13, you know, stuck in a 30-year-old body, and, and one that's a, this is what maturity can look like. So let's just dive right in here and look at the first picture. It's right there in, in, in verse 11. It says, there's much more we'd like to say, meaning I'd like to take you to deeper places in your spiritual journey, but I can't. Now, why can't he? Because it's difficult to explain, especially, this is a hard subject, but especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. This is the first picture we're given. It's of someone who is just, who's just dulled because they don't have a desire to listen uh, to, to Jesus anymore. They don't have a desire to listen anymore to the things of God. Uh, years ago, I was counseling uh, in my office as I was a pastor up in Kelso, Washington. I was in my office, and uh, an older couple came into my office. They were dealing with some, some struggles in their marriage. I had no idea where the conversation was going to go, um, but what I learned was, uh, well, it was, it was somewhat surprising, a little bit humorous, um, the, the couple's there, they're in the mid-70s, and uh, they're struggling, and so I'm, I asked the, the, the wife, uh, so w what's the nature of, of the, the frustration? What's the nature of the, the angst that's brought you to this place where you'd want to meet with me? And uh, the, the wife said, well, um, when I talk to my husband, uh, and, and he thinks that he's done listening to me, he just turns off his hearing aids. Um, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, wow. Um, so I, I turned to the husband, is, is that true? And he's, yeah. I mean, she talks so much, and she's always saying the same thing, so why do I need to hear it again? I'll just, I'll just turn off my hearing aids, and it gives me peace. Um, and you can imagine what, how that would impact a marriage relationship. Uh, it's, not, it's not a very healthy uh, way to approach a relationship, any relationship. But that's exactly the picture that this writer of Hebrews, this unknown author, is giving to these people who are, who are stuck in their spiritual journey. Look, here's the deal. You have, you have a somewhat of a capacity to listen and hear from God, but there's some point where you just, it literally means you have no push. You have no incentive to listen, meaning what you do is you just turn off the hearing aids. You don't want to hear anymore. And what it's done is it's spiritually dulled you. Hearing is taking in the information. Listening is a posture of receiving that information. It's tuning your ear to someone. 
And so this first picture that we get of someone who's, who's stuck in their tracks of spiritual growth is someone who's like, like someone who just turns off the hearing aid to God. I've heard enough. I don't need to hear anymore. I've heard all the stories. I'm done. I'm, I'm good. And it leads to this place where, in fact, the next, the next verse will, will tell us what uh, the danger of this is because it says, you, you have been believers so long now. You've been 20, 30 years in your relationship with Jesus and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're 20 years in Christ. You're 30 years in Christ. And you're at the place where you should be teaching others. Now, this doesn't just mean that you should be standing up in front of the classroom formally teaching people. That, that's not necessarily the picture that's being painted there. The picture that's being painted is is maturing in Christ to the place where someone would look at you and say, now that is an example of what it means to follow Jesus. That's a life worth imitating. Remember Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Those are bold words. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that as we go in our journey with Christ, if we're 20, 30 years into this, you know, if you're two years in, in your journey, you're, you're just learning the basics, and that's exactly where you should be. But as you're 20, 30 years in your relationship with Christ, you should be coming to the point where you're growing and maturing, where others who are, who are just starting out would say, now that is a person worth following. That is a person worth modeling my life after because they've modeled their life after Christ. But these people aren't there because they've turned off the hearing aid. They've said enough. That's the first picture, that deaf man who turns off his hearing aid. The second picture, uh, we, we, we begin getting uh, in, verse, in verse 12, after telling them they ought to be teaching and they indebted to be teaching others, it says, instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. We just saw a lot of cute babies up here. Beautiful babies, girls and boys. And, and what this author is saying is that, you know what, some of you are still babies. You know, you, picture in your mind th those kids. I mean, picture perhaps a little girl with a frilly dress on, and, uh, you know, she's a baby. But, but, but then picture, it's kind of a dysfunctional picture, but picture uh, someone in a frilly outfit. In fact, when you go to put the bottle in their mouth, you kind of have to part the mustache to get the milk bottle in. That, that's, that's what he's saying here. Look, you're 30 years old. You, you're st still living on a milk bottle. Infants are, com are completely, completely dependent. They need to be fed. They need to be cleaned. When, they, when they're, they're hungry, they, they complain or they cry out. When they need a diaper change, they cry out. That, you know, it's all about me. I, I need to be careful. It's, it's perfectly appropriate as a baby. But the reality is, is that when you grow up, it comes to this place where you start learning how to be independent or interdependent. And, and, but the problem here is we have a dependent uh, group of people who are saying, you know, I, you know, I don't really need to move forward. And that this, this, I'm great with the milk. My, my kids, and another, another factor about, about babies is, well, you know, when my kids were younger, um, we, we loved to read books to them. And... Um, 
You know, I'd, I'd be working at United Parcel Service and, you know, be deliver, delivering packages all day and then come home tired. And, and Trina's tired because she's been uh, parenting all day. And, uh, and so we're tag teaming at night and we're getting kids ready for bed and we're reading books to them. And um, uh, you've probably never done this, but I'm reading, you know, Dr. Seuss or The Hungry Bear or something. You know, I'm reading, reading a book and I'm tired and I think, you know, they won't know if I skip a couple pages. <laughs> You know, we're all tired, and, you know, you skip a page or two and sort of fast forward. And, uh, but here's what a two-year-old, a three-year-old does. Hey, hey, you missed that part. You missed that. I know what you're doing, Dad. You know, basically, they're calling you out, and like, okay, go back a couple pages, keep reading. And so then you go, you, go to, you go to plan B. You read the first sentence on a page and the last sentence on the last page. And, and kids call you out on that, too. They, they know what you're doing. Why? Because they've read, they've heard the story read to them, you know, over and over and over again. In fact, you're like, what, what book do you want to read tonight? Oh, that Dr. Seuss book. It's like, we read that every night. Can't we just try something new? You know, I grew up, my, I, had, I had folks who read to me, and, and one of the books they read was, uh, you know, the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. Now, it might be a little advanced for a two-year-old, but I've, I've tried it, and it doesn't work too well. Because the kids, they want their stories. They want the ones they know. And you know what? That's perfectly normal for kids who are two and three-year-old. They want to hear those stories. But guess what? When you grow up, if you're 30 years old and you're still enticed by green eggs and ham, you, you need to broaden your horizons, right? There are other books to read. But what's happening here in this church is we have people who are saying, no, 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 I... I didn't come here to hear anything new. Tell me what I already like. Tell me what I already agree with. I want what I want. Tell me, tell me the stuff that, that, that is, is the basics, because that's what milk is. It's the basics. And by the way, if you flip over to chapter 6, verse 1, you get a listing of what that milk is, or what those basics or ABCs are. Because what he's going to do is he's going to prod them to leave those basic teachings behind. Not to forget them, but to build on them. Now, let me just read part of chapter 6. Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need, you don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. What the author is doing here is giving us three couplets of six words to help us understand the basics or the ABCs. And so I'll just put them up on the screen here uh, for us so you can see what it is. The first couplet is repentance and faith. And that's all about what it takes to be born again. That's the beginning point, point in our faith with Christ. And, and he mentions it here in verse 1. We don't need to, to stick with the fundamentals of repentance and faith. That's, that's part of the foundation. The second couplet is baptism and laying on of hands. The laying on of hands was a, is a common practice in, in baptism. And so that's about being baptized. That's the second couplet. The third couplet that he mentions is resurrection and judgment. And this is about going to heaven. So look at it here. What, what spiritually immature babies are focusing on, what, what, they're, what they want to hear is about how to be born again, how to be baptized, how to get to heaven. 
That is the, the, the sort of the construct of how they view their spiritual journey. I've got my ticket. I'm in. I'm headed to heaven. I don't need to learn any anymore. But what, what this uh, author is saying is that's the milk. I mean, weren't we created, weren't we saved for something greater than just punching a ticket so we can get to heaven? I mean, you were created with gifts and talents and passions to make a, a significant difference in advancing in the kingdom of God in our time and in this season of world history. And we're part of, of, of a transforming community, and we are to be transformed people. But this is a picture of, of, of those who are, who are just still on the bottle, on the milk bottle. It's all about being born again and, and baptized and going to heaven. And those are very foundational statements and, and truths. And if you're two years in your relationship with Christ or you're just starting out, you, that's exactly where you need to be. But for those of us who are in this journey for decades, this is foundational upon which we build. So let's build on these things and pursue Christ in our relationship with him. So I got our first two pictures now. The first picture of spiritual maturity is someone just sort of turns off the hearing aid and says, I'm done listening. The second picture we get is that of an infant, uh, someone who, who, just, who just wants to hear what they want to hear, or they're still just, uh, uh, they can't digest solid food. They're sluggish. The first one's sluggish to hear. The second one is sluggish to digest. I can only handle so much. But then we get a positive picture, and this is a, a picture of someone who is mature. Verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That word training, through training, that's where we get our English word gymnastics, which means significant training, constant, uh, constant use, habits, spiritual disciplines. Solid food are those for, who, are, who are mature through training, through constant use of spiritual disciplines, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, we're not just talking about the obvious right and wrong. We're talking about the situations when, when what appears to be right could, in fact, be wrong. Or what appears to be wrong could be in a certain circumstance or a certain season. What's wrong could be right. See, this is what... What, what really tripped up the Pharisees. They believed that if you wanted to stay pure in your relationship with God, you avoided anybody who was a sinner. They, they, were, they had a very black and white approach to life. And by the way, the spiritually immature, that's often where they land. They, they can fall into the trap of legalism. It's, it's all black and white, there's no gray. It's easy to, to make decisions then. But those who are mature are able to discern and distinguish between right and wrong. So Jesus comes along, and he sees the people who are sinners, and, and he goes and he hangs out with them. He goes in the taverns, the bars. He goes to the, the banquet halls. He eats with them. And this confounds the Pharisees because in their conviction, Jesus, he's going to be contaminated by them. And what Jesus says to the Pharisees is, it's the sick who need a doctor. But the Pharisees call him a drunkard, a glutton, and a friend of sinners. See, the spiritual mature person knows exactly what, what, what sometimes perception, it, it may seem wrong, but in a certain situation, it's exactly what needs to happen, or vice versa. 
And this comes through constant use of gifts that you've been given, constant use and habits of spiritual disciplines so you're able to discern between uh, what is right or wrong in any case. Not so the spiritually immature. Take that positive picture and look at it from the immature side and what you've got is someone who probably is very black, on, black and white on issues. Now, there, are, there certainly are some non-negotiables to our faith. But oftentimes what happens is we land in places of legalism. We land in places of, no, we, we know in every case this is, this is what happens. Again, there's times that's true, but there's also times we, use, we need to use our gifts of discernment in distinct, distinguishing what's right in that case. That is, that is the gift of someone who's been walking with Christ for a long time and growing in him. That is someone who is mature. So, we got those three pictures. The, the picture of the person who's slow to listen or sluggish to hear, turns off the hearing aid. Got the picture of the baby. All they can digest is milk, sluggish to digest. And then we got a picture of someone who's like a gymnast. They're trained, they're skilled, they're disciplined. And they're moving forward in their faith. Now, here, here's the question for us. Why does growing up in Christ even matter in the first place? Because aren't we born again and truly aren't we baptized and part of the family of God and aren't we going to heaven? I mean, where's the incentive? Why work so hard? Why train yourself so hard? Why worry about being an example for others? I mean, other than the obvious you know, answers to that. Well, the response uh, to that question will lead us to, to chapter 6. Years ago, I had a friend of mine named Greg. He was headed someplace in the winter that was warm. He was going to soak up some sun. And he asked uh, our family if we'd pick up his mail uh, while he was away, which um, at the time didn't seem like a big deal. Uh, but after he left, a very large snowstorm swept through. And uh, there was all kinds of snow. The roads were icy. And he kind of lived up in the hills and in the woods a bit. Um, so it was, a, it was a bit of a trek to get to his house and to get the mail. But one day, my daughter, uh, Brittany, and I got in my truck, and we drove down the icy roads, and we got up to the hill where Greg's mailbox was, and we opened the mailbox, got all the mail out, and then we sort of drove ourselves very carefully down this sloping driveway to his house, made it safely, opened the door with his keys, dropped off the mail on his kitchen table, walked out, locked the door back up, and then uh, got back in the truck. And as we made our way back up that sloping driveway uh, to get back up to the road to head home, uh, we hit a place that was somewhat steep. And in my two-wheel drive, long bed pickup, that's rear-wheel drive, we started to lose traction. And we stopped, that, the momentum wasn't there, and we weren't moving up that driveway anymore. In fact, what happened is just the exact opposite. We began sliding, uh, slipping back down. And my, my daughter, Brittany, I remember she was younger, she got kind of scared, and, and uh, I was scared. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to steer this truck backwards down this driveway and avoid hitting anything that's expensive. Uh, and and we finally sort of, we, we hit this, we bump into this uh, larger tree. Uh, no major damage was done from my perspective. Uh, and, um, and we were able finally to, to get out. Here's the deal. That's, that's a picture of spiritual maturity. See, if you're not moving forward in your faith, you run the risk, you run the risk of sliding and slipping backwards. The scriptures call this backsliding, or the big word for it is apostasy. To, to, to not be moving forward, it's not, it's not a healthy thing for us to shift into neutral and just cruise our way or coast our way in our spiritual journey. 
because you just don't stay in one spot. There is a current church. There is a current that, is, is, that wants, to, it wants to keep us from staying with Jesus. And this current would, if we stop moving forward, could take us to a very dangerous place. And I want to read uh, the, the, some of them of, of, of chapter 6 here and describe that dangerous place. And, you know, th- these are probably some of the most frightening words you will read in the New Testament. They're very scary words. And I, I know that for many of us, we have our, our theological constructs and theological systems that help us uh, think, and those are very good. And we talked about those several weeks ago. But I want us to just hear these words. I want to read them to you. And this, this morning, let's just come under the word and, and let the word speak to us. Just hear it for what it says. Let's not read anything into it, but let's hear the word for what it says to us on why it's crucial that we keep moving forward, don't shift into neutral, because we could slide back into some very dangerous places. Hebrews 6, verse 4. It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. These are very scary words. And, and, and what's happening here is we have, we have people... We have people who, at one point in time, that once they were enlightened, this is a picture, uh, a, a word used often in the scriptures to talk about this idea of understanding who Christ is. Once you lived in darkness, but now, you, now, now you're people of, of the day. The light, you, you receive the light. To, to be enlightened is to understand our darkened standing before God without Christ. But we put our faith in Christ, the light of the world, we, we too now have light. In fact, Jesus calls us the light of the world along with him. So in, enlightenment is, is recognizing who God is and who his son is. And then it says those who have experienced the good things of heaven. The good things of heaven, in some translations it says have tasted the good things of heaven. Most scholars believe these are the blessings that we have in Christ as they're laid out in Ephesians chapter one. We've, we've tasted Jesus, we've experienced Jesus. And they've shared in the Holy Spirit. How, how do you have a share in the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2 tells us, and we call on the name of the Lord and we repent, that we're given the gift of the Spirit. And then it said they, they've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. They have the Scriptures and the power of the age to come, which means that they may have operated in the miraculous or were partners in, in ministries where, where miracles took place. These were people... Who, who at a moment in their life made a definite decision and said, Jesus Christ is God's son. He is God's son. And you know, some, some people will try and you know, minimize those things to saying it's impossible to bring back repentance because they would say, well, they weren't really true Christians because it says they tasted. You know, Ezekiel, he ate God's word. Jeremiah, he ate God's word. Uh, and, but, but this person has tasted uh, the goodness of the word of God or tasted the good things of heaven. But what, they, what you do is you ignore the local context because in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, 
the author is talking about how Jesus died for us, and uh, he, he writes this. He suffered death for us. He is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Well, the person looking at this might, might argue, well, they tasted the good things, and they took a sip. They didn't, they didn't fully embrace the gospel. Well, Jesus fully embraced death on our behalf. He didn't take a sip of death. He died. So what we have here in Hebrews chapter 6 is people who, who started out well with Christ. It wasn't merely intellectual. They were, they were walking. They were on the journey, but at some point along the way, they turned away. And it says it's impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. What's that mean? What it means is, just as they were decisive at one point in their life and said, Jesus is the Son of God, they've come to a decisive point in their life, and now what they're saying is Jesus Christ is an imposter, and they agree with the crowd that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They've fallen back to this place where once, once they were enlightened to now they've fallen back to this place where they say Jesus is an imposter. Susan Garlinger and Brian Cadell and I, our preaching team get together every week and we talk about passages and we flip coins for who has to teach the hard ones. And I always lose. That's, that's not the case. They preach the hard ones too. But we were talking about this passage. This is a tough passage. This is actually a scary passage. And for those of us who have friends and family members who have rejected Christ, we don't like these words. But the reality is that there are people who, who do say Christ is an imposter. You know, there's an online community that's been in existence for two years. It's an online community for pastors. It's called the Clergy Project. It's an online community of pastors, there's over 400 now, who at one point in time were standing on platforms and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, who have now come to the place in their life where they believe that they are atheists. Some of them are still pastoring churches. They're trying to figure out how to get out. At, at some point, someone like me was standing up and declaring the counsel of God, but came to the point where they said, Jesus is an imposter. It can happen to anyone. And what the author here in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 is trying to say to us is, look, keep moving forward. Grow up in Christ. Don't be that 13-year-old caught in a 30-year-old body. Leave, those, leave the ABCs behind and embrace the deeper things that we find in Christ. Uh, verse seven says, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. I just wanna stop that last verse there. And I wanna ask a couple questions, but just let me just make the observation here. We've got, we've got two plots of land receiving the same rain coming down on it. One plot of land produces good crop. One plot of land produces thistles. Two plots of land, same rain, two different results. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, I, want, I believe God's called you to be the one to produce a good crop. So listen, don't, 
turn off your hearing aid. Listen to what God has to say to you. Build on the milk. Build on the foundation. Digest the deeper things of God. Be hungry for more. And train yourself to discern what is right and wrong. Move forward. Let me just wrap up by asking a couple questions. Laura and the team are going to join me out here. We're going to respond to God's word. It's important we do that. But let me just ask you these couple questions. One is, are you listening? Are, are your ears, are you in a posture of listening to what God would want to say to you? And are you in that place where you want to move past the basics? See, I believe God loves to hear the prayer of, of, of those who say, I, I, want, I want to know Christ. And let's just respond to a difficult passage and express our desire to grow in our relationship with Christ.